Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. Yes, good morning, good morning, good morning. So good to be here. My name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor at Mill City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, so great to be here. I love being here, a part of Radiant, and even though I'm not here uh, about once a year-ish or so, um, I track along with you. David and I talk on a very regular basis, and I just want you to know that not only me, but our church and our staff are praying for you and cheering for you and and coming right behind you and beside you in all of this. And um, my wife, Jossie, and I and our four boys, we love David and Renata and their family and uh, so excited for what God is doing here. And if you are, I don't know where you're at and, you know, if this is your church home, but if you're in a place where maybe you're trying to decide, is, is this our church home? Is this the church for us? I just want to say to you um, that your, the leaders of this church are incredible. And I've known David and Renata for 18 years now. And when you know somebody for that long, you kind of have the ability to say, I know that they're not going to crack under the pressure. I know, uh, having gone through some difficult things with them, um, that they keep their eyes focused on Jesus. Uh, David and Renata and their team are incredible leaders. Uh, David and Renata are some of the best leaders and lovers of Jesus that I know. And, uh, and, I, and I cannot think of a better uh, um, leaders, leaders and leadership team for a church. And so um, you're in a great, great spot. And, uh, and I just love what's happening here at Radiant. I don't know if you know this or not. Sometimes you can't always see it when you're right in the middle of it. But you are, you are in the middle of a miracle. And what God is doing here at Radiant and through Radiant um, is really, really powerful. And so um, excited for you. Believe that your best days are ahead of you and that God will continue uh, to do amazing things here. And so uh, one of the things that I, I love about uh, David Perkins, uh, we, when we met a little over 18 years ago, we, we had this uh, a common affinity for A.W. Tozer. You know, if you're here at Radiant, my guess is you probably hear an A.W. Tozer quote, what, like every week, right? You know, so uh, if you're not familiar with A.W. Tozer, he uh, was a pastor and theologian, wrote a bunch of books. And though we do differ, though, on what, our, what the best A.W. Tozer book is. Uh, David would say, the pursuit of God, um, he's wrong. Uh, in fact, it is the knowledge of the holy. And so... Uh, so read both and then you'll find, I mean, I would agree with David, but that would make both of us wrong. So, 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 so the knowledge of the holy is about the attributes of God. And it's one of those books that if you're looking for a great book, it is, I've read it multiple times. I usually read it once every couple of years. And uh, it feels like the whole book is, is literally underlined. And, 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 I, and I love it because it, it helps me to fall more in love with, with God and Jesus and who he is and what he's about. And, and, uh, and it's a skinny book, so I like that too, you know, so, so those, are, those are helpful. Um, but in the introduction or the first chapter, I can't remember exactly, there's this sentence that kind of sets up the, the book, but it has always stuck with me. And it is, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now, if you were to ask what comes to your mind when you think about God, you, you might get a lot of different responses in our day. 
And some people might think, oh, I think of like this, like shaking my finger, his finger at me, kind of mad at me, st- sitting back and arms crossed God, man, kind of mean God. Or maybe there's like, you know, kind of kind of old man God, you know, kind of like not always there, you know, kind of in and out and, you know, was like back for another day, you know, kind of like, like he, he was, he's, he's getting old and he's kind of getting outdated. That might be their idea of God. It, several years ago, there was a survey done of thousands, really, of young people, and and the question was, who do you, who's God, and what does He do? What's He about? And through the course of the survey, there was thousands of surveys done. Of course, there were so many different, unique ways of saying things, but they found a common thread throughout these surveys um, that they boiled down into three statements and or three ideas and. And they termed this understanding of God, which is so prevalent in our culture, as moralistic therapeutic deism. Meaning, moralism, that God wants me to be good. Therapeutic, God wants me to feel good. But he's deist, deism means he's, he's uninvolved. So, so God wants me to be good, feel good, but he's not really involved. He's kind of like, you know, more concerned about like bigger things like peace in the Middle East or something like that. And that idea of God actually sets up a, a transactional view of God because oftentimes we think, well, if I am good or do good, then I will feel good. And if I'm not feeling good, but I've been good, then somehow I'm going to say, God, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. But of course, that's not who God is. And I love the series that I've been invited into uh, here at Radiant, which is unto us as we're moving towards Christmas because because it gives us a, a fuller and more, more complete and accurate view of who God is. And it comes out of Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, where it says, For unto us is born, to us or unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. Now, this is a, this is a pretty traditional Christmas passage. For unto us, a child is born. And we, we love that. It's a beautiful and everlasting father and prince of peace and and it's really great. And so sometimes if you were to ask that question, we think of Jesus as this like tiny little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. Born in a manger, soft and cuddly. And that's all true. And that's beautiful. And it's amazing that that's how God came into our world. But let's take a closer look at this passage. Because in this passage, we have words like government, we have words like reign and throne and kingdom, and it is established and it is upheld by justice. You know what those words are? Those are kingdom words. Those are king words. So unto us, actually, a king is born. Unto us, not just cuddly, soft hands. Oh, just super. Jesus is like the super, superest, nicest guy kind of, kind of thing. No, unto us, a king has come. And so I want us to take just a little bit of a look here this morning at what it means and what it looks like for a king to have come. 
That as we move towards Christmas, and here we're just a few days away from Christmas Eve, that we're in a place where we're recognizing this isn't just about uh, away in a manger and nice little soft and beautiful and cuddly and all these kind of uh, wonderful things which he is, but that in fact, a king had come. And so I want us to go to the Gospel of Mark. And, and, and if you're unfamiliar with Mark, the gospel specifically, Mark is kind of the, the fast-moving gospel. If you're into action thrillers, this is your gospel, okay? He, he uses words like immediately and suddenly on a very regular basis. See, he, he just jumps straight to the punchline, kind of moves from story to story. It's a really fast-moving gospel. Because of that, he kind of cuts out a bunch of the extra information that you might fight, find in other, other parts of the gospel or other gospels. And and, and so I just want us to start with the Christmas story in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, where he says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's the Christmas story for Mark. The rest of it for him, TMI, just, just too much information. Uh, you know, the angels and shepherds and, hill, and hillsides and mangers and Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph. Yeah, yeah, that's all important and that's all nice, but we're going to get straight to the core of the message, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay, good, got it. All right, that's the Christmas story. Mark just goes for the jugular. He just goes straight for the core of what it's all about. So I just want to take a little bit of time and I want to break down this, this one verse, this Christmas story, as we find in the gospel of Mark. And so we're going to start, he says, the beginning of the good news. Now this word good news uh, is actually a Greek word that we're, from where we get the word evangelism, and it's the word euangelion, all right? So a little Greek class here this morning, can we do that? All right, so we're gonna say euangelion together, okay? You ready? On three, one, two, three. Oh, that was, you guys were better than the first service. I just want you to know, I just want you to know you guys are better, all right? Uh, euangelion, evangelism. Now, we might think good news, evangelism, this is a religious word. Good news in the first century was actually not a religious word, it was a political word. Because good news was used by the Roman Empire to basically say somebody would walk into, let's say, a town, that they would walk into the city square, some sort of place for an announcement, and an announcement would be made, uh, something along the lines of, let's say, Caesar Augustus has defeated Octavian, he has brought peace, victory, and salvation to the empire. So they're announcing maybe a new king or the winning of a battle or the uh, conquering of a territory or something like that. And so they would say, we have good news. And that was the word that was utilized by, by the political empire of the day to say, peace, salvation has come. And this is good news for all of us. This is good news for the Roman Empire. This is good news for the world. And so he is saying in the beginning of the good news, about Jesus. See, he's making it clear that this is not the good news about the Roman Empire. This is not the good news about somehow the defeating of a particular army that was on the edge of the empire or somewhere that, that somebody wasn't maybe all that familiar with at the time. This, he's being clear here. This is the good news about Jesus, which we live in a culture here in America, 2018, almost 2019, where people love to talk about spirituality. 
You can flip on the news. You can uh, flip on Oprah. You can flip on the, uh, you know, the, you, to magazine covers. And you, it's regular. There will be some sort of talk about spirituality, uh, about a desire to elevate and, and become, you know, your true self and all these things and talk about spirituality. But the moment you start talking about Jesus, the conversation shifts. And I love that Mark is clear here that, oh, there's good news. But I just want you to be, I want it to be clear that the good news is about Jesus. The church that I lead in, in Fort Collins, um, regularly I'll get the question, so what kind of church are you? And I know what, I know the question they're asking. They're asking like, are you, a, are you a, affiliated with a Baptist? Are you a Methodist church? Are you a non-denominational church? Are you like crazy? Are you progressive? Are you conservative? Are you liberal? Are you like, what do you believe in? What do you think about this? And what about that? And what's your interpretation of this? And I say, oh, oh, we're a Jesus church. I'm like, okay, great. Well, um, what, what kind of church are you though? Oh, we're a Jesus church. See, because what are they asking me to do? Uh, how would you define yourself against some other church around the city? No, 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 no. Sure, we might have different interpretations, but I want it to be clear that at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day, for that matter, we are a Jesus church. That, yeah, sure, we might have a different interpretation on a particular scripture at, within the church down the street, but at the end of the day, that is not what we're defining our lives around. That's not what we're about, first and foremost. That's not what we're here to fight about. We're here instead to build our lives on Jesus. We're a Jesus church. I mean, you might like pews or you might like organs or you might like like uh, skinny jeans or you might like bell bottoms. You might like a particular, you might want to talk about this theology or that theology and all that's fine and good, but that is not what we are about. We are a Jesus church. And so what is Mark doing here? He's clarifying. I just want you to know that there's a lot of people who are announcing good news around here. And there's a lot of people in our culture today that are announcing good news. This is how you find peace. This is how you find the good life. This is how you flourish. And we're saying here today, oh, we have good news. Peace and salvation has come to the empire and it is because of Jesus. I want to be clear, we can talk about spirituality, but at the end of the day, when we talk about spirituality, we are talking about Jesus. So this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Now, Mark is writing certainly to lots and lots of people, but he does have a Jewish audience. And he is wanting to make it clear that for the people of God who have been looking and longing for a Messiah for not just like a few years, not just for a few decades, not even for a few centuries, but in fact for millennia, they've been looking and longing for the Messiah that was promised in the early, right, right in the early in chapter 12 of Genesis. And here we are hundreds and thousands of years later. And he is saying, I just want you to know that Jesus is the Messiah that you've been looking for. What's he saying here? He's saying Jesus is the king of the Jews. They got the good news about Jesus, and specifically to you, to the Jewish people. He's your king, the king you've been looking for, the son of God. Now, maybe we might think, oh, that's the same thing. He didn't kind of repeat himself right there. Now, remember, Mark, he doesn't, use, he doesn't mince words and he doesn't waste words. So he's actually saying something different when he says the son of God. 
Jesus, good, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. In the first century, uh, the Caesar was regularly thought of as divine. And so was oftentimes referred to as the Son of God. That announcement, the euangelion, the good news that was proclaimed throughout the Roman Empire, would often say something like this, you know, Julius Caesar overcame and won the battle. And we, we praise Julius Caesar, oftentimes referred to as Lord and Savior and Son of God. I have a picture of a coin here uh, from, uh, found from the first century. Front and back. The front uh, is of Julius Caesar, one of the Caesars. And the inscriptions around it and on the back actually say, Son of God. Indicating Caesar's the Son of God. So he's not making a statement here to the Jewish people, he's your Messiah, the King has come. He's actually making a statement to the Romans of his day and saying, oh, by the way, the good news is not that Caesar is king, but that Jesus is king. That Jesus is king and Caesar is not. So for, the, for Mark in this gospel and for the followers of Jesus to call Jesus the Son of God was not just a, a nice statement about him being divine, was actually a subversive and dangerous political statement in the day. To say, oh, Jesus, yeah, he's not only king of the Jews, he's actually, in fact, king of the world. Not just king of the Jewish people and their little small enclave where they find themselves, and, and, but instead he is, he is king over the Roman Empire and all that is beyond that. He's king of the world. Be like us saying today, oh, Jesus is king, not the person who sits in the White House. Jesus is king, not the political party that's in power. Jesus is king, not anything or anyone else. Jesus is the king of the world. Now there's a little extra, little just subtle slip into this one verse that Mark gives to us. And it's at the beginning of the verse. And he says, the beginning of the good news. Now this is the beginning because he's saying it's the beginning and it's the very first words of his gospel. But he's also making a, a hint and a reference towards Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created. See, because what he's doing here is not just making a reference for the Jewish people that he is, in fact, the king of the Jews. He's not just making a reference for the, uh, the non-Jews and all the Romans of the day to say he's, in fact, king over the world. He's, in fact, saying he is, in fact, God, and he's king over all of the universe. So, so I just want to make it clear that Jesus isn't like on the par with Caesar and he's just bumping Caesar out. I just want you to know that he's not just the longing Messiah and Romans, the Romans, you don't have to worry about him because he's just kind of this people's king. But in fact, he is not on par with Caesar. He is over Caesar. And he is in fact, not just the king of the Jews, not just the king of the world as we know it at that point, but he is in fact the king of all of creation and all of the universe. And we see throughout the Gospels where Jesus is communicating, oh, I'm king over sickness when he heals somebody. Oh, I'm king over disease when he lays hands on somebody that's suffering from something. Oh, I am, in fact, the king over the Sabbath when he does things on the Sabbath that somebody might not have liked. Oh, I am, in fact, the king over darkness and demons as he casts demons and evil spirits out of people. 
Oh, I am in fact the king over nature when he, call, when he tells the winds and the waves to calm down when he's on the Sea of Galilee. He is in fact the king over all things, including over death, proved by the fact that he comes out of the grave. He says, I am king over all things. And so you want a little Christmas story wrapped up into just a couple of words? Jesus is king. Unto us has come to us a king, a king over all things. Now, we like the word king, and we think, oh, that's awesome. But I'm not sure that we totally understand king. I mean, we live in America, Western culture. I mean, king, we don't have a king. We have, and the only idea that we have of king is like the king and queen of England, and they are more like celebrities that we just kind of follow and we're interested when they have babies, you know, and they get married and <laughs> things like that. But what does it really mean to have a king? I mean, we live in a democracy or, or, or maybe more accurately a republic. But in that case, it's, it's the will of the people that is executed. Or at least that's what's supposed to happen. That, that, that we're, we vote for people to represent us in the places of power, whether it be a mayor or a governor or city council or a school board or, or a senator or a president. They are supposed to be people that the people put into power or places of executive leadership in order to do what? To execute the will of the people. Technically then within our culture, we are king and our representatives and our leaders do the will of the people. But Jesus invites us to follow him, not as elected official. Jesus invites us to follow him, not as president that I don't like and I'm, so I'm gonna vote you out next chance I get. Jesus calls us to follow him, not as life coach, but as king. Jesus calls us to follow him, not as consultant, but as king. Jesus calls us to follow him, not as spiritual advisor, but as king. And for Jesus to be our king means that we respond to his invitation that says, if you want to be my Disciple, if you want to be a follower of mine, if, if you're going to be my follower, that means I'm leading. That means I'm king. So if you want to be my disciple, you must what? Pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. What she's saying, if you want to follow me, if you want me to be your king, that means you die. You're like, ooh, I, ooh, I like the idea of king. I like the idea of king, but I don't like the idea of dying. I mean, I, I, I like... I want to believe, but I don't want to die. But Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me as king. Now, if I can be really honest with you, not that I have been dishonest up to this point, but if I can just give you a few more of my more honest internal thoughts, I'm a little concerned about some of the gospel that gets preached in our culture these days. And it's the gospel that Jesus is somehow a dream fulfiller and an executor of our will. That in some ways, Jesus comes as the one to somehow make, just be the make my life better guy. Now, I do believe that following Jesus gives you the best life you could ever have. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, though, and it certainly is going to involve death. But if I'm honest with you, and I think if you're honest with me, I 
don't really want that. I really would love a God who exists for me. If I'm really honest, I would love and I want to be the main character in my story. I, I love Jesus and I want Jesus in my life, but I really would love him as a supporting actor. You know, I, he can win and he would win the Academy Award for the best supporting actor. Like, yes, I want Jesus. I want him, but I don't know about like lead main character story. Not sure about that. If I'm really, really honest. But following Jesus is not about making him our best supporting actor. It is about, in fact, reorienting our lives about him. You ever heard somebody say, oh, Jesus is first in my life. I don't actually think Jesus wants to be first in your life. Now, some of you are like, uh-oh, I was liking everything and I was thinking that Aaron was good and this is a good church, but now all of a sudden he says, Jesus doesn't want to be first in my life. That's exactly right. You heard me correctly. See, because what happens is oftentimes when we think of something being first, then we do the first thing and we do it first, but then we move on to the second thing and the third thing and the fourth thing. So if I'm going to do my Jesus thing first in the beginning of the day, let's say, then I move on to the rest of the day, which is all mine. See, Jesus is not interested in being first in our lives. Jesus is interested in being center in our lives. See, see, he's not interested in just being the first spoke. He's actually interested in being the center, the hub of our entire life, upon which every spoke of our lives rests. So that, so that if this hub falls out of here, everything else is dependent upon it and actually it will crumble. The strength of the center of the, of the hub of the, this tire, the strength of each spoke and the strength of this wheel is dependent upon the strength of the center. And so the question here this morning is, who's at the center of your life? Is Jesus king and therefore is he the center of your life? Or if we place somebody else there, see, because this is the thing. There is no like, oh, Jesus isn't king and so therefore it doesn't matter. No, no, no. Kingship, center of our lives is not a neutral subject. If it's not Jesus, it's something or someone else. See, Jesus is in fact the central character. I like to say it this way. Jesus is the lead story. If you open up a newspaper to the front page or you turn on the news, they always have a lead story. You know, it's what's on the front and it's what they lead off the news. Breaking news today, we got to start off with this. This is the most important thing today. But it, and the goal is, is that each one of us, if you open up our lives to the front page of our lives, you turn on our lives as the news. Hey, this is breaking story. Jesus is alive, everybody. That's a lead story of our lives. Followers of Jesus would say, lead story of my life, Jesus is alive. And therefore that shapes and directs everything. And some of you might say at this point, like, Aaron, I like that idea. But if I'm really honest, that feels pretty uncomfortable. Pretty uncomfortable because, because I, I, I feel like that's a little out of control. Which is exactly what happens if you... If somebody else is king, you're giving up control. And you're like, I don't know, that doesn't feel very safe. You know, safety is a big, huge, high value. And maybe sometimes king in the lives of a lot of Americans. And so we might say, that doesn't feel safe. I don't know about that. I love C.S. Lewis and I love his story, The Chronicles of Narnia. If maybe you've read the books, maybe you've seen the movies such a, a beautiful story and in the first book 
which is the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. It's these kids who have found this, this new world called Narnia. They went in through this, through this a wardrobe or closet in this room, and they found that when they went into it, there was no back, and kind of ended up in this world. And these kids are there, and they're exploring this world, and at one point, and they find that there's, there's things wrong. There's this witch that's in, the, in this world, and things are not right. And they end up meeting with and talking to these beavers, like you do. And, and they're, as they're talking to these beavers, they're, they're finding out about this lion, this lion named Aslan, and, and that when Aslan comes, he will make things right. He's the Jesus figure in the story. And, and the beaver says to Susan, one of the little girls that's in the story, they're asking about this, this Aslan character. And, and the beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Of course he isn't safe. Following Jesus as king? No, it's not safe. But he is good. But he is a good king. He has come into the world, yes, to establish justice and to uphold and to reign and rule for all of eternity. Absolutely. And is that going to be unsettling to you? Absolutely. But is, and so is he safe? No, 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 no. Is he safe to your kingship? No. Is he safe to what you've set up as king? No. Is he going to unsettle you if you make him king? Yes. He's not safe. Oh, but he is so good. And so the question I want to end with here today for each one of us is who's king in your life? Who's king? Maybe you're here today. Maybe it's your first time in church. Maybe you're here today and you haven't been in church in a long time. Wherever you might be, maybe you're at a place here today where you say, I've never made Jesus king. I've never seen Jesus as the one who's the king. But maybe the Holy Spirit is inviting you today. Inviting you to cross that line of faith. And to say, Jesus, I make you king. I make you king of my life. If that's you here today, can I just encourage you to maybe under your breath say, God, I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. I'm going to put my trust in you. I believe that you can carry the weight of my life. I put my trust in you. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've, you've crossed that line of faith. You've put your trust in Jesus. But maybe as I've been talking here today, you recognize that there's some areas of your life that you haven't given to Jesus as king. Uh, he's king of my Sunday mornings. He's king of my, my Bible time. He's king of my, my, my small group. But he's not king of my Monday mornings. He's not king of my Friday nights, for sure. He's not king of my finances, or he's not king of my relationships. Maybe there's an area of your life where he's not king. And for you today, the, the step is to say, Jesus, I give you, and it's to name a particular area of your life that you've been holding on to, and you've been king.
And for all of us, regardless of where you find yourself on this journey of faith, I think it is important and so valuable for us every day to come before God and communicate, I am yours today. When Jesus says, when when he invites people to follow him as king, he says, if any of you want to be my disciples, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. See, he's inviting us daily to come to him and renew our commitment to him as king. Some days that might be an easier, an easy statement and other days it might be more difficult. A few years ago in 2014, I started to have some eye issues and found out, actually in 2013, found out at a young age, an age that was not normal, that I had cataracts. And so I had cataract surgery in both eyes and it was amazing what they did and kind of had my eyesight back. Within a year, um, Jossie, my wife and I were actually driving. We were on a trip and we, um, and we were driving. It was the day before we were coming home. And, and I told Jossie, I said, it's, it's strange. I said, um, if I close one of my eyes, I can't see. Like I can't see out of the eye that's open. She's like, well, don't close that eye. It was like, it was, it was like dark liquid was just filling my eye over the course of that 24 hours. It didn't hurt. I just couldn't see out of one eye. So I got home and the next day I set an appointment with, the, with my ophthalmologist and hurried in and, and they shuffled me around, took, me, took some tests, all that kind of stuff. And they said, you have a detached retina. And they said, have you been in a fight? I said, no. <laughs> they said, I said, why'd this happen? They said, bad genes, bad luck. And so I said, what do you do about this? I said, well, you, we have to go into a surgery, two, two to three hour surgery to reattach the retina to your eye, to the back of your eye. And so I started asking questions like, what does this mean? And how is this going to work? And all of this. And I remember when they told me this news and how this was going to work and what was going to happen and the recovery process and, and the chances of it going wrong and maybe detaching again and what would happen to my eyesight and, I, I went home after that initial doctor's appointment before going to surgery a couple days later and I sat in my chair just stunned. Like, I, I, I'm, I could be blind in one eye and there's a possibility that it could happen to my other eye. And I just sat there stunned. Took, like, just taking it in. And I got to this place where I just felt like, God... If I am blind in this eye, or if I'm blind in my other eye, I serve you. And I was in my living room and I got down on my knees, tears streaming down my face. Thank God, I don't want to be blind. I don't want to go blind in one eye or both eyes, either one. But if I were to, if something were to go wrong, I just commit and I state to you today, you are my king and I surrender to you. I follow you no matter what. I felt like I was giving my life to Jesus all over again. Like I didn't follow you just if when things went well. I'm following you no matter what. 
And so maybe you're here today and maybe that's your commitment is to say, I'm here to say to Jesus, I'm following you no matter how hard it is, no matter how good it is, no matter if things go well or they don't go well, no matter what the the valley I'm in or the mountaintop I'm on, no matter what I say to you today and I say to you tomorrow and I decide in my heart, I belong to you. And so if you would, Maybe just everybody in the room, just open your hands just like this. Just where you're sitting. Open your hands towards heaven. When we open our hands like this, it's a symbol of surrender. You don't ever go to fight somebody like this. Come on, take it away, take me. No, yeah, you're like this, you know. So you put your hands down. You say, I surrender. My hands are open, not clenched. My fists aren't clenched. Jesus, I surrender. So can we all, regardless of where you are, just make it a moment of surrender to Jesus today? Jesus, we surrender to you. And we surrender to you as king. Maybe for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, or maybe for the millionth time, every day saying we surrender to you. You are our king. Yes, we pray. This we state, and we do this, and we follow you not on our own strength, but we believe and we know we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you build within us the perseverance to walk through and to surrender each and every day? And so today, Father, we say yes to you. We trust you. We honor you. This we pray in the death-defeating name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Yes, that's right. Thank God. Let's thank God together.